Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Report Podcast, episode 219. I'm Benjamin Yoder, here today, talking about video games, the PCFX stuff went out over the weekend, so if you haven't gone and seen those, you should go look at those, but I'm glad that's finally, <laughs> finally out and done. I feel like it was, was a two to three month adventure there. For some reason, the PCFX stuff always ends up being very involved. <laughs> So I don't really know too many like big PCFX projects that I want to do in the near term. There are definitely some little things I want to work on here and there, but admittedly the video I was working on was initially a little thing and then I blew it up into a whole thing as well. But um, I, I would like to continue to, to try to keep a consistent presence of PCFX in my life for now. You know, maybe not a, a complete focus on it, but try to generally kind of touch on things here and there and at least kind of regularly put stuff out about it whether that be the translation guides or maybe even straight just you know reviews of some things things like that so i think pcfx is going to go in kind of maintenance mode for now um and i think that will probably be the best place for it to be because if i sit there and try to like devise a new huge project or something like that especially while i while i already am like i'm trying to do these other things with pcfx I think it'll just clog things up even more and probably result in less PCFX stuff coming out. So I'm happy with the video though. And, and it seems like the PCFX community was pretty happy with it too. Um, we'll see if it really kind of expands out of there. That video is very much t intended to be like a primer for the system. So I'm hoping that people who are looking into the PCFX will find that and, and get a better idea of what the software library is kind of thing. Because I, I feel like a lot of the PCFX videos out there um, it's not all of them are, are, are super harsh. And I think there's reasons to be harsh sometimes. I think there's, we, we talk about like the quality of games on the PCFX, you know, I don't think you're going to find too many like instant classics there. You're really finding more interesting things rather than, rather than like these crazy well-polished things, which, you know, for my channel makes a lot of sense. Um, but for, you know, somebody who's like, I'm looking for the golden era of PC engine titles, but on the PCFX, you're, you're probably not really going to get that. Um, or at least not as somebody who, who doesn't speak. Japanese who knows maybe all those romantic adventure games and other like text heavy games are some amazing super you know distinct thing that happened only on that system but um I I, I don't get the impression that that is going to be a system that will ever really kind of elevate to any level um you know alongside like a 16-bit or other 32-bit systems which is fine I think I think I think it occupies a nice little happy space there um, and it doesn't really need to be some like huge, huge thing. But I think people knowing about PCFX and, and, and knowing, you know, what type of software is there is kind of a big thing. So, yeah, in, in terms of short term, though, um, I do need to get back to doing Ojo Sama Sosomu and doing that that translation guide. Um, and then also I'll probably be playing Chojin Heki Zeroigar here. I've been meaning to do that for a long time. That's the top down shooter on the PCFX. Um, but I found an actual reason to to do so. Um, and that is, I forget if I mentioned it last week, but um, I think it was kind of sprung on me suddenly again. that I was like, actually, <laughs> I'm going to be out of town again. And this time for like a whole week, my family has a family vacation thing they wanted to do. And I kind of forgot about it and when and how soon it was. So um, I'll, I'll remind you on the podcast leading up to it that that, that will be, you know, it, what the, the schedule will look like. But I'll probably have to do a pre-recorded stream because there's not really going to be a um, time for me to kind of in that area of when a stream would normally go up on a Thursday, you know, choose another day or something like that. So um, I'll go ahead and set up a, a stream to be pre-recorded. It'll probably be Chojin Heki's Zeroigar unless something really bad happens. Um, the reason why I chose that game is a couple of things. Uh, one, you know, being a PCFX game. Uh, two, it's a it's a shooter. And and the problem I had 
when I played Star Fox on stream a while ago, is that even with with barely anybody in the chat at the time, because this is a, like pretty early on after I started streaming, I think it was pretty soon after um, um, Thousand Arms and I finished that up. Uh, those kind of games, it's, it's really hard to interact with chat with because you're just, the game is constantly demanding your attention, basically. Admittedly, Zoegar has cutscenes and things like that. Um, so I think for a pre-recorded stream, uh, that will be a, a good fit as a game. I may have it go ahead and go up as like a premiere. So if you want to watch with the usual chat crowd, you can do that. I don't know how appealing that is. Um, I may even be in a position to be in the chat, <laughs> depending on what's going on. Uh, so so we'll see about that. But I think that is the plan. So I'll go ahead and try to do that this week. And if for some reason that changes, uh, I'll go ahead and let you know. And so that's kind of like the short-term PCFX plans. I know Sparkling Feather is something I also want to kind of get back to as well. Uh, but let me focus on those two things first. And then we'll kind of reevaluate uh, uh, Sparkling Feather. So... As I mentioned, I'll be going out of town again for, for a period of time. And the, the, the challenge I have whenever I go out of town, and, and this is something that happened when I went to, to, to North Carolina recently, is that I kind of want to bring a game with me to play while we're, we're traveling or while, you know, there's downtime, things like that. Whether or not I actually get a chance to play is kind of another thing. You know, as a kid, I kind of just would let myself go into my bubble and play whatever. But as an adult, you know, you generally want to interact with your family members and things like that. So, so I don't really know how much downtime there will be, uh, but I was told to prepare to bring things to keep myself entertained. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try to do that. So, you know, we, we did Super Metroid on, when, or I did Super Metroid when I was traveling into North Carolina. And the big reason I did Super Metroid was because I was pretty sure I was never going to make a video about Super Metroid. Um, and I was pretty sure that I would not really need to capture footage. And, and worst case scenario, that is a game I can get gameplay of pretty easily in a variety of states of quality. And, you know, really, like, I, I probably could sit down and record some stuff too. I would never imagine that I'd make... I'm not going to say never, but I wouldn't imagine I'd make a Super Metroid video that required me to have gameplay of the entire video game or something like that, right? Um, it would be helpful to have some on hand if, in case I reference it, but I can get that like pretty easily probably, whether through my own means or if it's something that's deeper in the game, I could probably you know find somebody online that has footage of that. So I'm not really in the mood to play another like Super Nintendo game. Super Mario World is one of those that it's like, yeah, I probably should play Super Mario World at some point, and I probably don't need to capture any footage of that. I, I played it as a kid, but I never beat it. Or if I did beat it, I have no like memory of what that experience was like or anything like that. Um, I did play it, but I just didn't beat it as far as I'm aware. Um, so I am looking around in my collection a bit, just trying to find some stuff to uh, to, to to take. Um, one that I was keeping in mind was Tony Hawk's, uh, Downhill Jam for the Nintendo DS. Uh, my thought process behind this was that it being, it being a racing game, um, it is something that I could probably pretty easily just capture footage of me playing the racing elements of it, um, without too much trouble, you know, just pick a race and go and do it. If I need to do an earlier race, I can do an earlier race probably without too much trouble. Um, I don't know if there's any progression in Downhill Jam, uh, for the DS. I think I played the Wii one a bit and I don't recall seeing anything that looked too, um, specific. It was more or less just, you know, get first place so you can unlock the next, uh, area kind of thing. So that, that was one thing I had in mind. I have a couple of other racing games as well, but uh, that's the one that caught my mind or caught my eye when I was looking at my collection. The other thing I was looking at was maybe one of the Aikatsu games. And the problem with the Aikatsu games on 3DS is that they're all in Japanese. So I would probably need to be pretty committed to not really using a camera translation app like all the time. It'd have to be just like, you know, bring it up as, as needed. Um, and... And the reason why I was thinking Aikatsu is because I actually have like three Aikatsu games that I got for 3DS. When I was in Japan, they were so cheap. I was like, ah, oh, that's another one. 
grabbed these. wasn't sure like what I was going to do with them. So I just went and grabbed, you know, everyone I saw basically. And, and I, they were pretty affordable. Um, so if I went ahead and started playing one of them, um, you know, I probably could pretty easily, you know, move on to capturing footage from the next game. And if I, if I really wanted to get, you know, in depth on one of those games at some point. So, so like, well, there's, there's other games that series that I'll probably end up playing and I could probably capture that you know, uh, uh, easily. And I think the, the experience between those different Aikatsu games are probably going to be very similar. Um, so I, I don't think there's going to be a, a huge need for me to capture all three of those games or anything like that. So those were kind of the two ones that were big in my mind at the moment, Super Mario World being the other one. But like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't really feel in the mood to play Super Mario World. There's also Super Mario 3D uh, World as well for the the Switch because I got the uh, 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. I only ever played that game multiplayer, and I don't have a great memory of 3D World either. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I just don't feel a lot of... I did beat it initially, so I don't really feel a lot of like drive or need to check out that version of the game um that much the big thing for me with picking that game up was checking out bowser's fury because bowser's fury is very cool and i think i would be open to playing it multiplayer again in the future but it's not something that's like a really high on my list so i think those are the three games that are kind of or four games that are kind of eyeing that i'm kind of eyeing up tony hawk downhill jam seems to be the most likely probably monster hunter stories is definitely like like <laughs> of, of high interest to me because I do really want to play through Monster Hunter stories but the big thing is I'd want to be able to capture that game because there's a good chance I'd want to talk about it to some degree um or at least that'd be my expectation I don't worry too much about this like traveling and not being able to pick a game kind of thing or easily pick a game kind of thing I've had some people in the past be like well you know doesn't this mean you're kind of too up your own butt about your content or whatever which is fine I totally understand that there's a lot of like decisions I do end up making about, you know, which games I end up playing based off, you know, where I can go in terms of the YouTube channel and things like that. And so I'll be like, oh, I want to kind of do this, you know, within this time frame, within this space. So I'll try to like, you know, push games off to that, to that section where I normally might, may have played them initially. But I think the big thing is, is that I'm not saying I'm not going to play a video game while I'm traveling. I'm just trying to, you know, find alternative games that make more sense to, to, you know, make sure I'm not wasting valuable time. Cause there's, there's trouble. Like, even if I like, say for example, I did play a game and you're like, okay, well you can just re-record the footage later. Right. Um, there's the problem of, and I, I ran this to this issue with Castlevania 64 and the Valkyrie revolution video where when you run into problems in the game that you definitely want to talk about, if you kind of know ahead of time, or if you've gotten like really familiar with the mechanics, um, in a way that it kind of helps you avoid those issues it's really hard to show that in a video. Um, like Valkyrie Revolution, the problem I had was that I was, you know, I got pretty good at following or, or, or managing morale in that game. So when it came time to actually edit that video together, there was barely any footage in my my gameplay that had any situation where I was the one, or my, my morale was low. I had like maybe two missions in that entire thing. Where when, the, when I first played Valkyrie Revolution, that was kind of a back and forth the whole time. I was constantly ending up in missions where I would end up with low morale. But now that I have like a like the, the, the experience of playing through the game in its entirety and now playing through it again, I, I don't have a lot of gameplay of that. So trying to show that off in a video um, can, can, can be challenging. In the case of Castlevania 64, the, the evasive jump in that game really gets in the way of platforming at times. But as you spend a lot of time playing that game, you kind of learn how to work with the controls to make that jump work. Um, but as, as somebody like, as, and that's as somebody who's played the game multiple times, I will say. So when you, when you play through it once and the experience that somebody would get through playing through it once, 
I think uh, matters a bit more. So I would generally focus. I've generally focused my my complaints around that initial playthrough. There's a lot of games, like in the case of Super Metroid. Like if you sat down and just played through Super Metroid over and over and over and over and over again, like that game is designed to in so- be played in some ways. Um, you know, obviously those control hiccups kind of go out go out the door to some degree, right? Um, but but I think the the initial play is what I always kind of consider to be something I want to focus on. Now, that's not to say I'll never say, well, actually, if you play through this game a second time, it's a better game or something like that, right? Um, but it's something that I uh, that I generally want to focus on. I'm not going to set like hard rules or anything like that, but that is my general focus. So, yeah. Um, anyways, that aside, future game playing, um, you know, I, I, I'm hoping to kind of branch out a little bit here and, and, and kind of feel out where I want to go next at this point. Like I said, PCFX is going to probably be on maintenance mode, but I want to make sure it stays in maintenance mode, not I've completely dropped this project mode. (laughs) So so I'm going to try to generally kind of keep a space for that in there and try to generally keep some kind of idea of what's happening next with the PCFX after that um, for that. So Um, I did go ahead and do two things because I knew there were two um, short-term videos I wanted to create, and these are not like big content videos, but there are two things I wanted to, to get out of the way. Um, one is uh, pack and roll for the, D- or pack and roll in general. Um, I, I, th- I talked about this a little bit on the stream, I think, last week, but I don't think I talked about it on the podcast yet. So if you remember, we actually streamed pack and roll, um, the, 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 the Wii release of pack and roll a while back ago. And my, I came away from pack and roll on the Wii being kind of like, okay, this game's fine. Um, it's a little finicky in a lot of ways, but like it, 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 it generally, it, this is generally the pack and roll experience I remember. And, and I think if you're probably playing the Wii version of this game, you're probably getting a very similar experience to the DS one. I actually sat down and played the DS one recently. And I think my opinion of that is, is no longer true. <laughs> um, um, I think there's just something that the DS version of pack and roll gives you in terms of the ability to kind of like flick your, your Pac-Man around really easily. Um, there's something there in terms of uh, speed, responsiveness, and your ability to, to kind of maneuver around the environment that really elevates that game to some degree. Not that it's like an amazing game, right? We're talking about a launch window DS game and like a, being a good game within that space, right? Um, so I'm not saying that, you don't you know, the, the pack and roll on the DS is some must play thing. But when I, when I actually sat down and played it, I was like, you know, this game is a game that gains a lot by being on a stylus rather than on an analog stick and flicking with the, or, or swinging the Wii remote to do the flick motion, basically. And so I think I want to go ahead and do a video that maybe kind of communicates that a bit more in a refined way. I don't think it'll be something like heavily scripted there. Maybe I'll have a script just to like, you know, more easily kind of condense my thoughts with that. But I don't think it's going to be like some heavy produced video or anything like that, or, or that's going to be like some all-inclusive pack and roll piece. I think it's going to be very much focused on here was my experience with the DS game. Here's my experience with the Wii game. Also, here are a couple other differences. If you if you listen to me talk about pack and roll before, you probably know the Wii version of the game cuts out all of the story from uh, from the DS game, essentially. So the DS game has this weird story going on, and it makes a lot of the, the area themes make a bit more sense, like the rock and roll stuff towards the end. And, and actually, the, the, the last half of the game is pretty significantly changed in terms of levels. So, and I think the DS's version is, is probably the better game overall when it comes to those levels. There is like a really interesting kind of platforming section in the, the Wii version of the game. Um, I think it probably makes sense why that level exists how it exists because 
the one thing that probably you get with pack and roll for the Wii is the ability to do finer controls better. But that is a game built really with 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 like these large movements in mind kind of thing. Uh, so that last level feels more built in in with the, the the finer movements in mind, and it makes those, those like the more platforming challenge of that last level um, to be to be uh, probably a lot more easy to work with than on the DS version of the game. Now, I mean. One thing to say, though, is that this both games are very short. So if you're like, man, I can't figure out what version of Pack and Roll I want to play, the answer is probably just play both. <laughs> it's going to take you like two and a half hours, maybe. Uh, the, the Wii version I found to be a little longer just because I felt the the, the movement of, of Pac-Man uh, didn't facilitate itself well enough to, to some of the more intense sections of the, um, specifically the lava level. I had a lot of challenge with the lava level on stream, if you remember, and a lot of dying that happened. So, so in the DS version, it's way easier to navigate that level in a way that I was not really expecting. So, so that was one thing I played, um, you know, again, it only took like an hour or so to, to do, to do that. I also uploaded all the pack and roll cutscenes onto YouTube captured from my, uh, DS capture card. One thing I noticed actually, when I was on the credit sequence for that game is that for some reason, the top screen gets a little bit of a flicker at times on solid backgrounds, which is not something on the actual DS. So that's something that was a little concerning when I saw that on the capture card. It doesn't get in the way of it when you're actually capturing gameplay or anything like that, but it was something I noticed during the credit sequence. So also all the Pac-Man in that game talk like a uh, chibi robo characters in the DS version. They're like, and then Pac-Man's like, <laughs> I guess in some ways like Banjo-Kazooie too, but yeah. So yeah. I also spent probably most of my week this week playing Happy Dance Collection for the Wii, um, which if you, if you haven't heard me talk about Happy Dance Collection before, it is a Wii dancing game, very similar to games like Just Dance, um, Wii Cheer, things like that. Uh, that was by Namco. Um, been the, the, I, I randomly picked this game up in Japan because it was like a dollar, and I was like, why why not, basically? Um, but what makes this game stand out and why I really committed to it was it is a game where it has fashion as a mechanic, essentially. So if you've seen my Tokadol video, you know I have an interest in when you you make fashion a part of the gameplay. And Tokadol is definitely probably one of the more, at least in my, my experience and my knowledge of that space, the more unique implementations of that. But um, when we talk about like like Japanese arcade games, there's actually a, like a series of games that, that fall under this Aikatsu, which we mentioned earlier, Prepara, uh, Love and Berry for older games. There's also like a, um, I forget what it's called. Is it like Lika? Like Princess Girl Lika or something like that? That was like something in like 2004, I think. It's a game that I really don't know that much about, um, but I think it also had a similar thing. But the, the thing is, is that in most of these games, what you do is you put on an outfit and that like builds your score up and then you dance to kind of get the second half of your score. And, and those games are generally focused in the arcades. The exception being, you know, I have those 3DS games. Um, and then all, the only console game I'm aware of that does this, um, at least within, you know, the most popular franchises is, uh, uh, Putty Pata that has, um, a switch release. And I believe that lets you like choose clothes and things like that, as well as, um, do the like rhythm game elements to, to earn a score. So this game is very much more in line with those. The big thing is that this is a home console release and it's in more of a dancing game format rather than in the case like Prepara and, and Aikatsu, they're all usually like three button 
rhythm game. So it's unique in that regard. Um, so from a, like a gameplay perspective, it's not very unique from like Just Dance and things like that. But but when we talk about the structure of the game, the story mode specifically, what asks you for those those elements. So I basically played through all the story mode of the game. I also played through uh, a good chunk of the two player mode. I didn't finish it because I didn't really care that much about finishing the two player mode. Um, but with the two player mode, you unlock costumes for the guy character. And I believe his name's Yuki. And um, that is something you can only do in two players for some reason. I don't really know why. So I held two Wii remotes in my single hand and danced with that. It was not particularly comfortable, but it generally worked out pretty well. Um, so if you want to unlock some some man man outfits in that game for your for your male guy, then you can do that. Uh, you just need to have two Wii remotes, basically. Or actually have a friend who, who dances with you. Um, or in the case of the, the Game Facts guide, I saw, like, she was the, the, the or I assume, I don't know, I assumed it was a she, but like... The, um, they're like complaining about their boyfriend not playing or something. It was maybe not specifically their boyfriend, but they were like, ah, oh, like, like you should be playing with your boyfriend, but if your boyfriend doesn't want to play, it's <laughs> like, oh man, some beef here, some spicy beef going on in this game facts guide. Um, but yeah, so basically you can just hold them together or in the case of the guide, she recommended like tying them together with like a belt or some kind of cloth. I didn't bother to do that. I just held them in, in, in two hands. So it's a fun game, though. The biggest problem I have is just the motion controls with, uh, like, dancing games on the Wii. I think it might be very much a me issue because I've seen people perfect these these songs on, on, like, YouTube and things like that. So it may just be learning what the game wants you to um, do in terms of those dance moves to, to make sure you get them every time. Uh, but one, one thing I do complain about a bit is just, like, the, the information they provide to you generally doesn't give you a lot of insight into how fast you should be moving, where the Wii remote should be tilting, things like that. Um, I do, I did go ahead and do a casual review for it. So a lot of what I just said now is like in that casual review, but I've got a casual review for it coming up and, uh, not next week. Next week I have a, a PTFX English guide video coming up. I'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but, but a happy dance collection casual review is going up two weeks from now. I left all the copyrighted music in. We'll see if that causes problems. I think YouTube does a pre-check now before you publish. It did not flag anything at this time. That does not mean in the future it won't be flagged. <laughs> so I've considered making like a like in-game music menu music uh, version of that video um, as like an alternative. But I think I'll just handle that if that time comes. <laughs> Which usually is not like a good answer for me because um, my project files are a mess on my drives, I move stuff around a lot and that immediately breaks all my project files. I need to actually reorganize my um, footage storage drive because it's filling up and I need a way to organize it that's not just by game name basically or by alphabetical order. I think I want to break them up to consoles maybe and, and handle it that way and then maybe split up consoles between you know different drives, especially knowing how much I capture. Like I'm going to have way more Wii footage than I'm going to have of any other console. So making sure that's on the drive with the most free space and things like that, I got to figure out. And then I have to actually transfer them between the drives, which is a long process because <laughs> it's a lot of very big files. So... So yeah, I'm really excited to uh, put up that casual review. It's not an amazing casual review uh, like video that I've done, but I I I love that kind of fashion. I you know I call them you know uh, fashion rhythm games, um, and that's my own made up genre. But I I I love that kind of game, and I want to have more opportunities to play that kind of thing. And, and Happy Dance Collection is is not particularly unique in that space, other than I think like when it comes to the raw gameplay itself, it aligns itself more to what rhythm games on the Wii were generally doing versus what arcade games were doing. So, and you know, this is a game from like 2008, so it probably was taking taking from Love and Berry more than anything. 
Um, so, so yeah, that's going up sometime soon. I did go ahead and speaking of like, like motion heavy games, um, I did go ahead and start up active life explorer. So if you saw, um, the, the coffee, um, we, we had, uh, people donate for the active life, uh, map for me to buy. I was going to get it with outdoor challenge. And then, um, I ended up being able to get all the active life games for only like $10 more. So I just went ahead and bought everything in a bundle. And then I did a bonus stream this weekend where we played, um, um, through each one of those, probably about like 20 to 30 minutes each. And I'm, I'm a bit mixed on a lot of these things, a lot of these games. So let me just kind of start by saying, if you are looking at the active life series and, and you're like, man, these are the series of games I, I'm actually kind of interested in playing. I should maybe explain what active life series is. Basically it is a Wii Namco, uh, published Bandai Namco published, uh, series of like exercise games, but it's using the power pad for um for the Wii essentially so it, it's actually a part of the family trainer series in Japan uh which is where the power pad was in 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 in, in you know initially uh put in place essentially for the NES um so this is basically the Wii version of that power pad so you're using a pad you're like you know slapping it with your hands you're running on top of it you're jumping all those kind of things um and so there's four of these games and they're actually kind of interesting in how unique they are in terms of or at least i should say this by by my initial impressions by the first 30 minutes they each have like unique visual styles i think there's like a unique pacing to them all as well but when it comes to like the raw action of what you're doing in terms of like you know running on the mat jumping things like that all of the games are very very samey within that so i think it's one of those things that if you're going to look into getting an active life game or if that's your, something you're interested in uh just picking one is probably the the, the best option um, the one I have picked to play for now, at least, is Active Life Explorer. And the reason I picked Active Life Explorer, if you watched on stream, is that this is a game that has like a structure, has a world map that you're going around, you're collecting treasure, you get different costumes, you also can uh, create, like, it's not really like a create a character, but there's a lot of different character av avatars you can choose from. So this seems like probably the most ambitious game out of all of these. Now the mini games themselves are still very much those mini games that you come to expect from, or that, that you can find in the other games. I should say, come to expect from Active Life because every everyone's played Active Life. I actually don't know how they sold, but apparently enough to make four of them. <laughs> um, uh, so the mini games are very similar to the other games, but I think that structure is a big help. When you look at the first two games, Outdoor Challenge and Extreme Challenge, um, they are very straightforward. There's just kind of a list of games that you go between like different tournaments you can do. Um, but it doesn't really have kind of the flashy world around it. Um, there is like a unique aesthetic for both of them, which is, which is nice looking. I think the big difference between those first two games is outdoor challenge feels a lot more intense on, on kind of the exercise part. There's a lot of those running mini games, a lot of jumping mini games, things like that, where extreme challenge feels like a game that it's a bit more about precision because it's a, a more focused around extreme sports. So skateboarding, BMX, things like that. So there's like a trick aspect to a lot of the mini games. And so you need to put in inputs while you're jumping and things like that. So it seems like the running part and stuff like that is not as big of a deal. So, so maybe it makes sense to kind of like pair them up when you play them and just play like the really intense stuff and then cool down with the, with the ones that are more about like the precision kind of thing, because I tried playing like active life, uh, like for 30 minutes. This is after the stream. I just played it on my own and I got so many of the running mini games back to back. I was exhausted. I'm a big Un, unfit man right now so it was you know a challenge if you're wondering what those beating noises were if you could hear them i was smacking my chest <laughs> i'm a big unfit man right now so you know that's a part of it too i'm sure um these games are definitely designed towards children so you know <laughs> uh but but yeah so 
and that's fun. There's also another game. The final game was, which was called Magical Carnival. Uh, that game, I'm not really 100% sure what's going on there. It's got a more fantastical vibe to it. Um, like there's a pirate ship mission that, that we did on stream where you basically, you know, control a pirate ship while it's sinking or whatever. Um, and, and so it seems like it has more of the fantastical elements of the Explorer game, which is like about you being a treasure hunter, essentially, rather than the first two games which are just like generic sport mini games. Um, but it doesn't seem to have the same structure as um explorer at the very least so i just kind of need to sit down and, and look into it it feels like a game that may have been like um had its development cut short that last one i think a big reason why that may be the case maybe it's just, just me reading in too much of it is that active life challenge uh or no the uh the uh magical carnival came out in 2011 and i i need to go back and check but i believe in 2010 they stopped producing or Wii's with GameCube controller ports. And the Active Life series uses the GameCube controller port for the, the mat. So I wonder if it was just like, get this out while we can. We don't want to deal with people buying this and then, you know, not being able to play it because they don't have GameCube ports. And then that was the last Active Life game, um, at least on that system, right? So they're actually remaking uh, at least Outdoor Challenge. I don't think it includes anything else. I think it's just that initial game. They're remaking, remaking that game for the Switch. And my initial feeling was like, after the stream, I was like, Outdoor Challenge does not seem like a particularly interesting game out of these four titles. Like, that seems like maybe the worst one to remake. Um, but the one thing that, that I did think about, especially as I was playing Explorer more, is that kind of the challenge with these Active Life games is you have this power pad under you. They're very flimsy. They they curl up while you're playing them. Admittedly, I'm, again, I'm a big adult man. Maybe if you're like a 10-year-old kid that weighs however many pounds you know, this wouldn't be as much of an issue, but you just like the pad just kind of gets like, jumbled up as you kind of are, are stepping around on things. And the other thing is that there's, especially with games that require precision, um, if they ask you to do something more intensive first, like running in place kind of thing, you kind of start to move around a little and it can, can be difficult to remember where you are on the mat or at least be, be fully aware of where you are in the mat. So you're like, okay, I need to run and then I need to press up on the, the left, uh, like jump pad thing but then like because you like shifted over slightly while you're running on the pad instead you press the minus button on the controller or like there's like a button on the pad it's like the minus button i think or, or it's like a blank spot one or the other i think it's the minus button though and it's just like you miss it and then you're like oh god damn it because like like you knew what to do you knew where the slot was but the fact that you were just running you just ended up not touching it and there's not really any kind of physical feedback from the pad right so it's not like it's easy to tell if you've shifted, you know, where, if, when you press down, if you actually select or press down the right spot, you know, if the game is just like having trouble registering it, or if, if you are actually missed it. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing. So, so when I think about the switch version of outdoor challenge, which is uses a, the leg strap, I believe if not the same as a similar to the, uh, ring fit adventure ring strap, you know, attaching that to your body and reading motions from your body probably makes more sense like yes you're you have something that's precise with the pad but because you as a person is not like able to be or at least me as a person is not able to be precise with those inputs at all times because of kind of the the free nature of your body you know, like you know moving around um maybe doing something that's a bit more abstract and and having the motion control tracking is a better thing to do. So initially my thought was like, maybe I won't get active life challenge with the switch, but now I'm like, maybe I will. Um, Mr. T brought up in the, in the stream that's like, maybe we can make it, uh, uh the next coffee goal. Um, I don't really have a problem with that because I, I don't have any other thoughts in mind at the moment for the coffee goal. I don't know if 
you know, people donating would like me to put anything else up in there, but it is a little bit of a struggle to figure out like what I can make as a goal that is like something that will deliver back to you. And then also will like, like pay for something kind of thing. That's not just me taking money just to take money. Right. I'm not, I'm not in the position that I'm looking to make money from the website or anything like that. So I'm just like, whatever money you're giving me is going to go into this thing basically. Um, so, so I'm like, maybe that makes sense, but we'll, we'll see. I, I just need to kind of sit down and figure it out. There's also the, the coffee, um, um, monthly subscription stuff now that I need to figure out as well and put that in place. It's free. So I don't have to feel bad about, you know, um, <laughs> uh, paying an amount for that. And then, you know, if, if, if nobody donates for a month and losing money off of that. So, so yeah, active life challenge. I'm going to probably try to finish up active life Explorer at the very least. We'll kind of see where I go from there. If we get active life outdoor challenge for the switch, I probably will play through all of active life uh, outdoor challenge for the, for the Wii as well. So Woo, video games. I've been playing them mostly physically, like challenging games. Pack and roll is also like very, very uh, <laughs> intensive on the wrist. So, so I've been I've been breaking my body apparently this week. <laughs> Anyways, in terms of news this week, uh, there's three stories I want to talk about. Um, one is, uh, as you probably have saw if you're if you're in 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 this space. Um, or, uh, you know, I think people who are listening to this podcast are probably are in, in the know when it comes to Xenoblade Chronicles to some degree. Um, the voice actor for Xenoblade Chronicles mentioned that, uh, that she is probably working on another Xenoblade game. And then she was like, actually, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that or something. I don't think there's any like real definitive proof of like there being a Xenoblade 3, but based off her comment, it seemed very likely that there was. That being said weird that monolith would take their most successful franchise and make another game of it it's like that's not really a news story <laughs> but but at the same time uh they had uh i think that there's another rumor going around i don't remember the, the source of this rumor actually so take this with a grain of salt because i can't think off the top of my head of where this came from basically that is that that xenoblade chronicles 3 is at the end of its development and that potentially sometime by the end of this year uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hear about it. So that is probably a little more relevant in my opinion, because I think it's kind of a given they're going to make Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I think what this really makes me do a few things about this one. If you know me as a person, you know, the first thing I do is complain about them making more Xeno games. I love the Xenoblade franchise. I enjoy Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I think that's their best game that they've ever made. I think Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is a good video game. That feels like a game that was ripped out of their 2005 catalog. I'm surprised people like it but I'm glad they do. And then I think Xenoblade Chronicles Torn of the Golden Country is a very good follow-up to Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And I think probably the game that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 should have been, at least in terms of how it handles some of its mechanics and the flow of the game and the world structure and things like that. Not specifically saying that like literally they should have released that initial game as Xenoblade Chronicles 2, because obviously there's story stuff going on there that is connected to the actual game. But when we talk about the type of game it is, the structure, mechanics, things like that, I think that game was probably more desirable overall, or at least a, a lot more of a friendly experience, in my opinion, uh, to, to approaching it. So I like those games. Don't get me wrong before I say that. Um, that being said, I don't want any more Xenoblade games. <laughs> like, I'm kind of done with them. I'm like, that's fine. I'm sure I'll play and enjoy whatever they put out. Uh, then there's Xenoblade Chronicles X. I forgot about that. That game's, that game's weird and unique in a way that I don't, 
like personally, but I'm glad it exists as it exists because it's a very cool game and a very unique game in the Xenoblade franchise, right? Um, and it is a very ambitious game as well. I, I, the Xenoblade Chronicles X is a game I have mad respect for. I just don't like open world games very much. <laughs> and I don't really consider the Xenoblade games open world because they're just kind of like bubbles of areas. And then like the actual progression is pretty linear because you kind of just go from one bubble to the next. Um, kind of like Deus Ex in a lot of ways. But, but you know, I... <sighs> I think open world is too broad of a term probably because there's something to be argued about those games being open to some degree, but it's like selectively open in spaces. Anyways, all that aside, let's get back to Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I'm not super excited about Xenoblade Chronicles 3 at this point. Obviously, whatever they show me can change my mind. The big thing I'm looking for is just like not understanding the, the whatever combat system they show up front. I just want to look at it and be like, I have no idea what's happening. That is what happens in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and I was very excited about that, even though I was not that excited about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 <laughs> overall. But like that, that part of like the Xenoblade Chronicles 2 uh, press cycle, I was like, I have no idea what's happening, and that's good, because that means they got away from what Xenoblade Chronicles 1 was doing mechanically. Um, and so I hope what the game I see with Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is is something that, that I cannot identify directly as Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Um, the other thing I want to do, like, I, I don't... I feel like they kind of figured out how their kind of weird bubble world system works in bubble world, the, the, the exact design I was talking about with like, you know, being having sections of the game you kind of go through. I feel like they did an amazing job of that in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, and then they kind of messed it up in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. They, I think in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, they're trying to get like the best of both, of both worlds between Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and then just kind of messed it up. Uh, or sorry, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and Xenoblade Chronicles X. I think they're trying to get the best of both worlds with that, but then kind of messed it up, and so it didn't work out. And then they kind of went back to the, to the, the standard world design with, uh, with Torna. I know I'm saying a lot of game names right now. Sorry about that. Um, so I guess what I'm really trying to say is like, I hope that there's something unique about the overworld system in the game that will, that will, um, be interesting to me because right now, um, anything that Xenoblade Chronicles has done in that space, I don't want to kind of reiterate that. So again, I'm not really going to complain too much about it being a Xenoblade Chronicles games at this point. I will always prefer a new IP. I always want that Monosoft to start from the ground because I feel like they're a company that excels when they start from the ground and, and, and can build something entirely unique um, uh, initially, I think as they kind of build on top of things, things tend to get worse and worse. Torna being a exception, thankfully, um, but but I think that's generally how I feel about their games to to, to some degree. Um, so yes, a lot of words out of my mouth for that um, to basically say, um, you know, eh, I'm not super excited they're making Zimbabwe Chronicles three. But I'll I'll keep an open mind about it and look at what they're having. The big thing is as long as they're not making Zimbabwe Chronicles two. Point two or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> um, and then the other part of this too is just so Monolith Soft announced a while ago that they had a new IP for the Switch. It's like a dude in the field with a sword and there's like a dragon flying down. So I wonder if the fact that this game is kind of wrapping up its development and that like after, before or after that thing means that thing maybe doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, obviously there's there's multiple teams at Monolith Soft so that maybe there's a team off still working on that and it's just taking more time to put together because it's not a sequel to something, right? This takes more time to put together a new IP. Um, but you know, their 3DS title that they announced a while ago, um, it was, 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 I don't think they ever officially canned it, but it was kind of like, well, the time has passed for a 3DS game at this point and whatever that thing was no longer seems to exist. Um, so I, I worry that that switch new IP is dead as well. 
I can't really blame Monolith Soft if they go all in on Xenoblade and and hopefully, you know, if they do, if they did kind of have to sit down and reevaluate the game, at the very least, they took it and said, okay, maybe we make this into some kind of Xeno property thing to some degree. Um, but but I hope that game has not died um, because, again, I, I'm always looking for something new. I will say I cannot complain that much about Monolith Soft not making new IP because I do have Soma Bringer for the DS and I still not have played Soma Bringer for the DS. That is a new IP. That is something I should sit down. Well, new IP 2008 or something like that. Um, you know, that is a, a unique game in, in their franchise that is not based off something. So that's something I really need to sit down and, and spend some time with. It's interesting looking at the character designs for um, Soma Bringer specifically because the art, and I assume it's the same artist, the art and character design are very, sim- very similar to Xenoblade Chronicles 1's uh, art and character design. Uh, something that obviously Xenoblade Chronicles 2 kind of abandoned. So it's interesting, interesting to see that like kind of line between those two. So, yes. Xenoblade Chronicles. Looking forward to seeing whatever you're doing. I, I'm i sure is, if you've been around for a while, you know I get through like extra, ex, uh, I go through like crises with Monolith Soft games and then their games come out and I love them. <laughs> El Shaddai is coming out on September 1st on Steam. That's very exciting. That's a very fun third person action game. I'm personally, I'm a big fan of it. It's like my second favorite game on the PS3, right behind the original Nier probably. Um, it's just kind of a crazy video game. I hope it's something that, like, the, the new release is something that draws a lot of people's attention to it and it can be more successful because I do like that original game a lot. Um, and then also uh, Castlevania Grimoire of Souls. I did not expect this to happen. So if you don't know, that Castlevania Grimoire of Souls was a 2D action kind of mobile game for Castlevania and it was in, like, development hell forever. And then they put, like, a beta out and then I think they launched and then I think, like, six months later they shut the game down and I was like, that sucks. I wanted to try it out, but my phone didn't support it because my phone was old by the time it came out. <laughs> um, apparently, it's coming back to um, the Apple Arcade service. So that means I'll never play it because I don't get uh, Apple devices anymore. Um, but it, it apparently is coming back out and is going to live on there, at least for now. I think it's very cool that they are they are bringing it back. It seems like a really neat little thing. I would love to spend time with it. The big thing is, is that I, I personally would like it to be on the Switch or something. Something that can have button controls. I mean, really any platform. PC even, right? Um, but I just want it to be on a platform I can play with, with, with like a, a, a controller and a more, more like normal way. You know, maybe that, maybe the, the iOS version has the ability for you to play with a controller, but I would like to play it on a, a gaming console or a PC or something along those lines. I would like to check that game out. Um, but you know, I'm glad it's not dead. I'm glad it's not something that's just going to disappear into nothingness for now, at least I'm sure eventually it will as a service-based game. It will go away. I'm curious how that rollout is going to look like in terms of content. If they're going to start from the beginning and just kind of roll up from there and see how it's received and then shut it back down if it doesn't get received well. Or if they're like starting from where that content left off and then building on top of that right now. And that's pretty much it for news this week. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, in terms of what's coming up, next week I have the Hunex Fighters 98 PCFX guide video coming out. Um, you know, Hunex Fighters, if you know already, is is very accessible as a as a uh, game on the PCFX. So I think the big thing in putting that video out there was just putting something Hunex Fighters related on the list to make sure that people are aware that it exists. Really, that's that's my main goal with that video and putting that out. Um, I was actually talking to somebody. There's a, uh, I forget his name. It, it runs like the Vin- Vincati uh, Twitter account. He was mentioning he had no idea what Unix Fighters 98 was, other than he recognized the character sprites. And he's like, oh, cool. Thanks for, <laughs> for listening to that in the video, because now I could actually go check it out. So I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that that is something that people have more exposure to. 
um, because that is a fun little thing. You know, it's not full video game on the PCFX, but it's the only 2D fighter that's not like a cinematic fighting game on this on the system. So, so I think it's well worth every PCFX fan to, ch to check out, um, whether that be through emulation, whether that be through uh, like console things like that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Happy Dance Collection video will be coming out uh, next week as well. Um, sorry, Hunix Fighters is this week. Sorry if I said next week for that. Happy Dance Collection will be out next week uh, for that casual review. And then the week after that, I have Tokikimeki Card Paradise um, as an English Guide video coming out after that. Again, very accessible game there. Um, I wasn't really intending to do that video, but it was just so easy to do. And I had just sat down and played through it. I was like, might as well get this out of the way right now. Um, so, so we'll put that in. I'll probably be trying to approach more challenging games for that, um, PCFX series. So don't expect every video to be like 10 out of 10, they're card games <laughs> kind of thing, right? Um, in terms of 10 out of 10 accessibility, not 10 out of 10 quality. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of weird stuff about Tokimeki Card Paradise in terms of like the, the video quality and things like that. But it's something you just check out and play. I think it's well worth the time if you if you are interested in that PCFX space. In terms of streams coming up, um, Scourge Hive is the next game we're going to be playing. If you don't know what Scourge Hive is, it was like a, I think 2004-ish, uh, maybe early 2005, uh, isometric Metroidvania style game. Um, and a lot of people, well, it got like kind of a cult following at the time, but it had a problem where like the, basically the girl in the game is like, has the ability to get infected or rather she is infected in the game. And so when you're walking around, your infection rate builds up and you have to go clear the infection out of your body at the save point. So people didn't like that aspect of the game because it kind of felt like you're constantly on a timer. So, but, uh, I think it'll probably be, um, about a month to get through that. As I mentioned, I'll have that zero Egar stream likely. Uh, a couple weeks from now instead so there will be a gap there and then as I promised uh, earlier I, I do plan to play Sonic and the Black Knight on stream after Scourge Hive I just want to take a little break from Wii games because we've, we've been playing a lot of Wii games recently and I just wanted to go put some some space there um, oh, one last thing. The Team Innocent uh, uh, reference documents for the PCFX. I did go ahead and upload those up onto archive.org. I tweeted about them so you can find it there. Or you can also just go look at my archive.org page, which is just under Akulian, O-C-U-L-I-N. So you can go look that up. Um, and it's like 58 pages of concept art for, for, um, Team Innocent. It's all from photocopied paperwork. So it's not anything great in terms of quality. It's not like the original drawings or anything like that. Um, but it is, I think, valuable to have that stuff out there. And, uh, I did try to donate the, the actual physical papers to, um, the Video Game History Foundation because honestly, I don't really care about keeping the papers at this time. Um, and, and they said that like, oh, cool. We normally take this, but not right now. There's too many people donating stuff. So, so it's going to sit in my closet for whoever knows how long. Um, I'm probably not looking to give them away at this point. Not because I don't want, like, not because I want to keep them per se, but because I, I think I would rather make sure they go somewhere where they're going to get taken care of. Um, and I don't really know what that will be at this time. So for, for now, right now, they'll be preserved in my closet <laughs> alongside the private idol uh, documents. So, so yeah. Anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. Whatcontrolboard.com is the website. Um, and that's it. Talk to you later. Bye. Check out my PCFX video if you haven't yet. Bye.